0: The factory under the regulation include the following businesses or sectors, the hazardous materials industry, of course. We have uh, the the desalination facilities. Another sector we are dealing with, the swimming pool.
1: Welcome listeners to the Industrial Security Podcast. My name is Nate Nelson. I'm here as usual with Andrew Ginter the Vice President of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions. He's going to introduce the subject and the guest of today's show. Andrew, how's it going? I'm very
2: well, thank you, Nate. Our guest today is Yossi Shavit. He's the head of the Industrial Control System Cybersecurity Department in Israel's Ministry of Environmental Protection. And he's going to be talking about some strict new cyber rules for sites that are handling hazardous materials.
1: Okay, then without further ado, here is you and Yossi.
2: Hello, Yossi, and thank you for joining us. Before we dive into the details of the the new hazardous materials regulations, um, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and about the the department that you're working
0: in? Oh, yes, sure. Hello, everyone. Uh, I have to introduce myself a little bit. Uh, In my profession, I'm a mechanical engineer from the Technion Israel, known as one of the best technology institutes in Israel, and uh, maybe in the world as well. Uh, I have a lot of uh, industry background and experience as a mechanical engineer. Over time, I uh, performed a professional uh, retraining uh, to be network admin in an enterprise organization. And uh, then more than 20 years ago, uh, I started working in the field of information security, doing a lot of hands-on work on a variety of information security products, uh, such as firewalls, content filtering uh, products, uh, web application firewalls, data application firewall solution, and more. Uh, I also have a very strong uh, technological background and also a lot of experience in writing and methodologies and uh, procedures. And four and a half years ago, I made another shift uh, to SCADA and ICS Cybersecurity world. And today I serve as the head of the ICS Cybersecurity Department uh, in the Ministry of Environmental Protection. in my current role, uh, I have written a new and uh, unique regulation for the Israeli hazmat industry, and I have also developed a unique uh, methodology, uh, all over—it's uh, unique all over the world, as much as I know—in order to support uh, this regulation. Um, I have MBA degree in business management from the Open University in Israel and two international cybersecurity certificates. The first one is CSM, Certified Information System Manager, and the second one, CDPSC, Certified Data Protection Solution Engineer. Uh, These two certificates were obtained from uh, ISACA. Uh, international It's actually an international certification organization which is located in the United States.
2: So you mentioned the new hazardous materials regulation. This is our topic. Um, can you start at the beginning for us, please? What kind of materials are we talking about here? Who uses them? How many of these sites are there in the country?
0: First, I must, I must point out that all cyber protection activities with the hazardous materials industry began uh, with two government decisions in Israel. Uh, Decision number 2443 and decision number 2444 uh, from February 15, 2015. In these two two government uh, decisions, the government uh, ministries in Israel were authorized and demanded uh, to provide cyber protection to entities under their uh, regulatory guidance. Uh, For example, uh, the Ministry of Health is supposed to instruct not only the Ministry, uh, Ministry's employees, but also hospitals, health funds. Uh, for another example, the Ministry of Transport, uh, Transportation should guide airports, seaports, trains, etc. And uh, my ministry, the Ministry of Environmental Protection, according. To uh, the decision of the government should guide all the factories, all the factories that hold hazardous materials in Israel, and we have um, more than four thousand uh, factories, actually four thousand two hundred and sixty-two to be accurate, which get uh, a toxin permit from uh, the ministry from us in order to be allowed to continue the business. So uh, most of them uh, have to renew this toxin permit every one year. And the factory under uh, the regulation include the following businesses or sectors, uh, the hazardous materials industry, of course. We have uh, the desalination the facilities. They, they add uh, minerals to drinking water. Some of them are hazardous materials. Uh, we heard about the Florida attack uh, two months or three months ago. Uh, Israel Electric Company, um, they have a large of, a large amount of flammable materials. Water treatment plants, in water treatment plants, uh, they add uh, acids and bases to balance the pH of the water. Uh, materials like Chloride acid, or sodium hydroxide, which are very dangerous to public health and in high concentrations. We also guide the seaports and airports. In seaports and airports, we have transportation of hazardous materials like ammonia, bromine, chlorine, uh, and near densely populated areas. Uh, Also uh, pharmaceutical industry, medicines, we have the uh, pesticides industry, all kinds of fertilizers, uh, defense industries, the semiconductor industry, we have their uh, toxin gases for the production of uh, printed uh, circuits. Uh, We have hospitals also in our guide. Uh, In hospitals, we have ethylene oxide which we called ETU to sterilize medical equipment. Uh, If if you don't know, ethylene oxide kills anything down to the smallest bacterium. And it controls by uh, HMI station, controllers, sensors, and ICS systems. Another sector we are dealing with, the swimming pool. Uh, Swimming pool, uh, we have, uh, two uh, dangerous materials, hypochlorite and salt acid to purify the water. But uh, if you put uh, each one separately, that's that's fine. But if uh, they touch each it, other, uh, they causes reaction in contact with each other. The reaction releases free chlorine, Cl2 molecule, that can harm public health very severely. Another sector, it will be sound maybe, uh, it, w- it will sound maybe a little bit uh, funny, uh, but wineries. In wineries, we have a sulfur dioxide, which we call SO2 for the preservation of the wine, of the red wine. It becomes a sulfuric acid in contact with the air. And if we hack into such system and release a large amount of SO2 into the air, we will cause disaster. And if it, in the same time uh, it also rains, we can get acid rain uh, on unprotected population. Uh, that's, that's all the sectors that I uh, deal with. Wow. Too much, huh?
2: <laughs> so that's a lot of stuff to keep track of. You know, that's a lot of use cases. Um, can we spend just another minute on, uh, on how this stuff came about? And then let's dive into the details here. I mean, you talked about the government decisions that authorized the creation of this regulation. Can you talk a bit more about how the regulation was actually designed to address this very broad set of
0: needs? Yes, yes. I Actually, I wrote uh, the regulation Actually, the regulation. Uh, first, you have to to understand that uh, the toxin permit uh, we based on the toxin permit in the regulation because the toxin permit. Let's let go to the start uh, in the, the in the two government decision uh, <clears throat> that I talked before. Uh, they stated that every government ministry, like uh, the Ministry of Environmental Protection, will use the regulatory tools that they already have. To impose cyber protection uh, to its domain. Not new regulation or not new rules, just uh, the regulatory tools that they already have. Okay? So the Ministry of Environmental Protection has a very powerful tool. Uh, Actually, it's the most powerful uh, tool in the Israeli economy. It's called the Toxin Permit. The toxin permit allow uh, for strong uh, enforcement. Uh, actually, the, this tool is, uh, is for implementing the hazardous materials law since uh, 1993 in Israel. We have a hazardous materials law and the toxin permit is the tool uh, to do it. The, the toxin permit actually contains a condition for transport, storage, and handling of hazardous materials uh, for years, not from today. Uh, for example, separation between between acids and bases, uh, signage, uh, safe transport, and uh, now we use this tool for also for cyber regulation. <coughs> no, no uh, special rules and no new rules. The main advantage of the toxin permit is that we can. Uh, we can at any given time add additional condition into the toxic permit without ne- the need of uh, further legis- legislation uh, and without waiting for the permit to renew. We don't have to, to wait to re- renew date. we just can edit any any time any day. And uh, we in the ICS cybersecurity department uh, for the purpose of cyber protection, in factory, we we take advantage of this toxic permit uh, to add cyber protection condition, uh, all all this in in order to force factories, to force them to raise cyber resilience as a regulatory condition. So factories uh, must comply with the toxic permit that uh, uh, is renewed for the most dangerous factory once a year and the least dangerous once uh, every, uh, every two years and or every three years. In case uh, there is no compliance with the condition, the plant is exposed to, uh, to, many, uh, to the following things. Uh, first, closure of the plant according to Hazardous Materials Act. The second is a criminal record for the factory or for the head of the factory or the board. Uh, And third, fine of about 800,000 new Israeli shekel per person and 1.6 million new Israeli shekel per corporation so that a person One person who is also a corporation owner can get a fine without a trial that amounts uh, to up to 2.4 million shekels, which it's about uh, close to a million dollars, $700,000 fine.
2: So, Nate, I'm reminded of our interview with Patrick Coyle, uh, who had been following the, the CFATS, uh, Chemical Facility Anti-Terrorism uh, Standard, in, uh, in the United States for a very long time. Um, you know, Yossi here, uh, I can't remember if it was on the recording or if, you know, it was before the, the call, but he mentioned that there's some 4,000 sites in Israel that are governed by these cyber rules. Um, and Israel's only got a population of 9 million people. In uh, in Patrick's interview, I recall that there was something like five or six thousand sites in all of the United States that were covered by CFATS. So you know, you do the math. the The rules in in uh, in Israel apply to 30, 25 or thirty times as many sites as uh, as the United States, and you know. I was, I was kind of surprised when I listened to the list of sites. I mean, I expected heavy industry. I mean, a big power plant has a, a large amount of ammonia there because they scrub the emissions to keep smog out of the air. And ammonia you know, is a part of the chemical reaction that cleans out the emissions. Um, but I didn't expect you know, hospitals and swimming pools to, to be on the list. But, but here they are.
1: Being that it can't be explained away as as a simple statistical anomaly, um, why do we think that this is? Is it a cultural thing? Is it that Israel faces more ever-present threats and so they put more investment into this?
2: You know, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Now, I don't have scientific evidence for any of this, but but yeah, you know, Israel has real physical threats they're dealing with. I mean, as I'm recording this, the terrorist group Hamas is still lobbing thousands of missiles at civilian targets all over the country, and you know, it's hard to tell exactly in the cyber world. Uh, you know, in in a lot of countries, the cyber regulations are actually classified, but from what I'm able to access. Um, Israel has, in my estimation, the strongest cybersecurity regulations anywhere in the world. Um, And this kind of agrees with other data points that I have. Um, There are very strong cyber regulations throughout the Middle East, which is a region of high physical threat. There are strong cyber regulations in South Korea. There's, again, a very strong physical threat there. There are very strong cyber regulations in Singapore, which is kind of a, a tiny country surrounded by other countries who aren't that terribly friendly to Singapore. So it seems to me that the, the, the understanding of physical threat and the understanding of cyber threat, they, they kind of go together. And we see strong cyber regulations where there's a clear understanding of physical threat. To me, this is a little strange, though, because the cyber threat environment is global you know um uh, canadians i i live here in canada you know we have the same bad guys coming after us across the internet that everybody else does so i really don't understand why it makes sense to have different cyber regulations in different parts of the world when in a sense a large part of the of the cyber threat environment really is universal
1: yeah i take your points andrew although it makes sense to me um that a place with um, more significant present threats would have more regulations. So I do kind of get it. Um, Nonetheless, let's return to your interview with Yossi to hear a little bit more about the nature, the the content of these rules and regulations.
2: So thanks for that. Um, Can we dive next into the regulations themselves? What do they require of these sites with with toxin permits?
0: First of all, in order to support our, uh, the regulation, uh, a very unique methodology was uh, written. Uh, you can find the full methodology in the cyber industry guide uh, that we have published. It's free for all. You can download it uh, free from our re- website. And to the best of my knowledge, this is the only and first cyber guide of its kind. In, in actually as, as much as I, I checked in the world that deals with cyber protection for this specific hazmat uh, factories. And the guide, uh, the guide was in Hebrew and the guide has been translated into English at the request of the OECD organization. And in the guide, uh, we have the uh, the work plan for, for the plants. The work plan, um, <clears throat> and every plant uh, received from us uh, this uh, work plan that consists of two main stages. The first one, the first stage is risk assessment. The second stage is implementation of controls. So the risk assessment has three sub-stages, and the implementation of the control has another four sub-stages. So we're talking about a total of seven stages.
2: So you said you said seven steps. Um, can you can you talk about those steps? What's what's the next level of detail here?
0: Right. Okay. So the first the first step is mapping mapping of dangerous process and risk in the, in the factory. And then for every uh, process that uh, that deals with then uh, damp- with ha- hazardous materials, they have to do risk cyber risk assessment as written in uh, the cyber guide. And then the three, uh, the third stage is classification of ICS system. They will know uh, the level of risk, that they, they will know what controls that they uh, have to implement. And they all already know the control that they have. So uh, this is the first stage that they are done with the uh, risk assessment and they go to implement uh, controls. So the, the fourth one is gap analysis uh, they, will, uh, they will have to do the gap and then to build work plan in order to close this, this gap. Um, after they build the work plan, they have to work uh, to do work uh, program execution and uh, last stage maintenance and monitoring. And this is cycle. This is a cycle of uh, three uh, years. The time limit for the risk assessment is one year uh, from the date we added cyber condition in the toxin permit, and the time limit of uh, implementation of controls two years. So the total cycle would be three years, and the plant uh, should perform the cycle again in three cases. The thir- third, third, uh, the first one after three years, another round begin, to start all over again. Uh, two, if the plant. Added new hazardous materials to existing process, the OT staff will have to perform the delta. And in case of if the plant added another process of existing hazardous materials, here is another process. Again, they will have to do the delta for risk assessment and implementation control.
2: So in a in a classic you know, in a classic IT cybersecurity uh, regulation, you would talk about confidentiality, integrity, availability. What what is the priority here for your uh, your regulation?
0: It is very important to know that we are a bit trying to shift from the traditional world of CIA triangle, which consists of, as, as you said, confidentiality, integrity, and availability, which is more suitable, I think, uh, for IT for information uh, system. And we are moving to SRP world. SRP means S for safety. It's already implemented in my cyber guide, version 1.3. Next, cyber guide 2.0 will uh, include R R for reliability and P for productivity. Uh, This will be in version 2.0. Because I think that SRP triangle is more suitable for OT system than CIA triangle, which is more suitable for IT world. than we're dealing with uh, ICS, with OT system.
1: Andrew, we talk a lot on this show about things such as safety and reliability, um, but productivity, as you'll see just recently mentioned, is not something we give quite as much mind to.
2: It is newish. Let me give you sort of the the, the fast history of sort of you know uh, security and cybersecurity priorities in the the industrial space. You know, back in the beginning, we're talking you know o three two thousand three two thousand five two thousand seven. The very first standards came out. They talked about CIA confidentiality, integrity, availability. They said you know in the OT space, it's inverted. Availability is the highest priority, then integrity, then confidentiality. And people talked about that. Um, for years, and uh, you know, when I came, you know, when I came to waterfall, I started interacting heavily with uh, with end users in sort of heavy industry, and you know, realized that look, heavy industry really is talking about safety first. It's all about safety. You know, don't blow things up, don't kill people. They don't talk that much about it, but it's sort of ingrained in the culture. It's there. It's ever present. What they talked a lot about was keeping the plant up. If I have a billion-dollar investment in a power plant or in a water treatment plant, I need to keep that billion-dollar investment producing results. And so people were focused day-to-day on keeping the plant up, not messing things up and tripping the plant reliability. And I started hearing… People using those words sort of in conferences and webinars, maybe 2011, 2012, 2013. And in my my 2016, my first book, I called out, look, it's safety and reliability. That's your priorities on, on OT networks. Um, and in the years that followed, you know, I sort of heard people talking more and more about efficiency. I heard it the first time in a, a Rails conference in Europe a couple of years after the Red Book came out. Um, but, you know, people, Efficiency is what drives automation. Everybody wants to make their billion-dollar investment produce more for less, become more and more efficient, and automation is the you know the big way to bring that about. So efficiency is driving automation, is driving cyber risk, and so I've heard people talking about sort of safety, reliability, and efficiency very recently. Um, and Yossi is sort of, you know, at the head of, of, of the curve on, on that kind of terminology, but he doesn't call it efficiency, he calls it productivity. I think it's the same thing. So that's, that's sort of the, the quick picture. Okay, so that's the priority. Uh, can we dive into the details? How do we do this? I mean, I, I had a look at the regulation. The first thing that struck me was a formula you've got in there, risk equals P plus I times three, you know, what, what is this formula? Um, how do you use it in the regulation?
0: If you focus uh, focus on the risk calculation, it consists of, of P and I, where P is the level of exposure to cyber attack, or in other words, the probability of cyber attack. And I is the maximum damage obtained as a result of cyber attack, or in other words, the impact, I for impact. We use the equation risk equal P plus three times I, which we adopted from the INCD, the Israel National Cyber Directory. The formula has been tested by them and is definitely suitable for our activities in our plants. This was also proven, proven uh, in a pilot I conducted uh, actually in the field, in the factories. So how do we calculate P and now do we calculate I. We do the calculation of P by an Excel file questionnaire containing 36 questions, of, uh, containing uh, to, to actually to measure the level of, exp- uh, of exposure. I originally developed it with 40, 42 questions, and over time I performed fine tuning and got 36 questions just to con- consolidate. Uh, There are several uh, possible levels uh, of answers from one to four. One is the least exposure and the four is the most exposure. For example, uh, one question, for example, number of employees with access to controllers that manage control hazardous materials uh, system. So if we have more than 50 employees, so it will be uh, level four. Uh, the most ex- exposure if you we have up to 10 it's less. We have many uh many, many other examples we, we don't I don't think that we have time to uh to give more examples but uh that's how we do it. So uh after uh we finish the 36 questions and we do the average uh, uh the average of 36 questions. And the level of the accuracy is quite high, even if you make mistakes in some questions, in some in some answers, uh, the accuracy is achieved because uh, of large amount of questions. And believe me, I checked it. <laughs> uh, so to this is big to calculate uh, impact. We have another Excel sheet that we have uh, developed, and uh, here in. Uh, in I, in calculation of I, it is not the average, but the greatest value obtained from four questions concerning the CIA triangle. Uh, we know from the world of information security, but but also the S, which pres- presents the safety of the process. In calculating the impact, we look not only at the CIA, but also S because we think S is more important than C. Uh, for example, uh, When we calculate impact, we refer to three uh, main scenarios. The first one is toxin gas uh, dispersion. The second one is burning with high heat and radiation effect. In professional language, we call it BLEV. The the chemists call it uh, BLEV. And the third one, the third scenario, an explosion effect that creates high pressure that can come from a flammable gas gas cloud, this this effect called uh, the professional term UVC. UVC is an acronym for uh, unconfined vertical cloud explosion. So the common thing for all scenario is that in all three scenarios, uh, there is harm to public health and there can also be uh, environmental damage. And <clears throat> when we, uh, already know uh, the value of P and the value of I, we can now calculate the risk uh, by the formula, risk equal P plus three times I. We, mul- we multiply I by three uh, in order to give the, uh, a heavier meaning to the impact, because if a cyber event has already happened, we refer, uh, we refer to it as WCS, worst case scenario, because the hacker will try, will try actually to maximize the damage as much as possible, as much as he can. So for example, if I equal three and P equal three, then the risk will be a three plus three times three and we get 12. Then we go to the heat map. We have a heat map, heat map in our cyber guide uh and the value in the heat heat map uh the range from 4 to 16. the heat map is divided into four levels level four level four to seven marked in green color uh level two from eight to eleven is it's level two and marked in yellow and from level 12 to 14 uh it's marked with orange and Level 15, 16 are the highest and mark in red. So every plant that uh, knows the risk, knows what controls to implement. Uh, And how we know by risk level what control we need to implement. When I developed this guy, I must say that I have chosen the controls one by one. I wrote them one by one very carefully just what uh, uh, is needed. So, So as not to overload the industry, and cause the collapse of factories. Our goal, our goal actually is to raise the cyber resilience, but not not, not cause them to, to go bankrupt, you know.
3: Targeted ransomware has emerged as the pervasive cyber threat to manufacturing operations. In 2020, all plant downtime due to cyber attacks was because of targeted ransomware. This is in spite of the IEC 62443 security design at these plants. A new ebook from Waterfall Security Solutions looks at targeted ransomware and manufacturing systems in detail. In the book, Dr. Jesus Molina concludes that a big part of the problem is incorrect classification. We need to distinguish business-critical IT systems from operations-critical OT systems. Once we have identified our systems correctly, Dr. Molina looks at what to add to the 62443 style defenses. It turns out we can enjoy the benefits of modern, connected automation without suffering the risks that come from connected automation. To understand 2020's lessons and explore modern solutions, please download the new ebook. You can find it at the Waterfall Security website in the white papers area under the resources menu.
2: Nate, let me summarize real quick. Uh, The formula is risk equals uh, P, which is probability. Let's say risk equals exposure plus three times impact. So impact weighs very heavily. Exposure is measured as a questionnaire. You've got 13 questions. You give each question an answer between one and four. You average the answers. It's sort of a, a fairly soft uh, uh, calculation. Impact is hard. You've got four levels of impact. If you're level four, if let's say there's, there's 17 events of you know toxic release or toxic contamination or whatever that that you're worried about, and one of those events is a level four event, it's a big bad event, and all the rest are little tiny level one events, your impact is level four. It's the worst case. And then you multiply that by three. So impact weighs very heavily in the overall calculation of risk. Probability, likelihood of of uh, an event weighs comparatively little.
1: Right. Now, what about the formula itself? Do you see these kinds of formulas uh, that that Yosi talked about elsewhere in the industry? Do you find them useful?
2: That kind of formula is not common. Uh, what springs to mind is the French regulations ANSI A N S S I. If you Google, uh, you know ANSI uh, Cyber Industrial Control System, you'll find two documents. One of them. Most of the document is focused on their formula, uh, and they have a very complicated formula. It, it takes like five or six pages to explain how to calculate uh, how much at risk you are. Um, it's not one formula. It's actually six or seven formulas, one for each step, and then look-up tables, and then you take the results of the lookup table and plug them into another formula. It's really very complicated. In Israel, it's crystal clear. Impact. The, the possible impact, the worst case impact has the heaviest um, uh, impact, has the heaviest contribution to the risk calculation. In the French system, it's very hard to figure out um, what makes a difference and, and, and what doesn't in the final calculation.
1: Right. And so at the end of all this, you, you presumably end up with some sort of evaluation. You can put the given site into one of any number of buckets according to their risk.
2: That's right. Um, In France, it's three buckets. Um, It's critical infrastructure. So they care about reliability as well as safety. Their class three is kind of safety systems. Their class two is reliability critical systems. Their class one is business systems. In Israel, it's all about safety. So they've got four different gradations, four different sets of rules for different classes of safety critical systems. That's sort of the, the, the difference between the two formulas. So let's talk about the controls. Um, you know the the controls that at you said. Uh, you know, class four systems are are the most stringent. You know, one of the things that surprised me was that your most secure systems are required to have a penetration test every two years. It you know it, it kind of makes sense, but a penetration test on a running system. I mean, is that is that not dangerous if if the test succeeds?
0: Uh, you are you are absolutely right, Andrew. <laughs> you put here some uh, some bomb. <laughs> it is not recommended. I agree with you. It's not recommended to perform a penetration test for OT system uh, in a production environment because you know the the production li- uh, line can be disabled and shut down. Uh, such uh, shutdown involves large uh, costs to the plant, but it is very important to understand the following thing. First of all, uh, those those who receive level four controls are factors that have direct and immediate risk to human life. We're talking about the death of people as a result of cyber incident. And when we talk about uh, penetration testing, there are many ways to do this without harming the production environment. For example, digital shadow technology that allows us to simulate our system into a uh, file side and perform the penetration test on it uh, in israel there is a large organization in israel that uh, has developed such a product through uh, to its own startup company uh, another option is to set up a laboratory uh, laboratory environment as identical as possible the production environment and to perform the test there. Uh, in addition, uh, you must know that a national cyber laboratory is being established in Israel in collaboration with the INCd, Israel National Cyber Directorate. And for it's for the testing of ICS component, component and systems and it's expected to be developed very soon. Uh, in addition, uh, we require such, such as uh, inspection uh, once every two years. And the assumption, my assumption is that an industrial plant shut down its production line uh, at, at least once a year uh, for maintenance purposes. So if you shut down, or uh, the pen test uh, can be performed on the same annual shutdown.
2: Thanks for that. Some of the high-end requirements did not surprise me, Uh, but, you know, I work with unidirectional gateways a lot. You know, Class 4 networks have to have either two air gaps or unidirectional gateway hardware in place, hardware that is physically able to send information out of the industrial network and let nothing back in. You know, remote access on Class 4 networks has to be unidirectional as well, remote screen view. What surprised me was Section 12.12. You know, Class 4 systems, it says, have to use operating systems that are still in support and have to use operating systems with continuous security updates. What does continuous mean in an air-gapped environment or an environment with unidirectional gateways outbound only? How can you get continuous updates into these these Class 4
0: networks? We mean that the controllers or the HMI software of the operating system must be continuously updated to non-vulnerabilities, Uh, This does not mean connecting them to the internet, but rather it means taking care of continuous updating, even if the updates need to be transferred manually and via uh, this conkey or into the OT network. If we take, for example, the Stuxnet attack that occurred in Iran in 2010, as much as I remember. There was a non-vulnerability in the Siemens S Step Seven controller that was not connected to the internet, and despite this fact, the attack was carried out. So we want to prevent such a si- situation. So the continuous actually is manually.
2: One thing I was very happy to see was requirement 19.4: um, Employees must be ordered. Not to accept instructions for handling hazardous materials over email or text message or even phone calls. Um, you know, I documented a requirement like this back in my my 2019 black book. Um, but you know, I know a lot of people who who read the book were skeptical. They didn't believe that people were actually doing this, but here you've got it as a requirement, not just for class 4 systems, all the way down to class 2 systems. Um, you know, Can you talk about the requirement and, and why it's there and why it makes sense?
0: Actually, I also read your uh, black book. <laughs> Excellent book, I must say. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I, I took the idea from there. And also recently we are witnessing a very great ability of impersonation via mail or otherwise, and even voice forgery. Uh, we have seen quite a few software, also quite a few software that, that know how to fake human voice, even prime minister voice. So, I personally think impersonating a uh, local worker is one of the most dangerous things in a factory that factory can explain. So, I give the emphasis to this challenge, even at lower control levels.
1: Andrew, uh, somebody read your book.
2: It is music to an author's ears. I mean, I, I love to hear that. I mean, you, you invest so much in these things. Um, if anyone's not familiar with the book, you know the uh, it's not a book about really about my ideas how to do stuff. I try to document what the world's most secure industrial sites do differently, and I put it out there really as a, a list so that people like Yossi or you know industrial security practitioners could say, "Look, I need to make my program the next step stronger. Where do I look?" I Put a list together, and you know people can cherry pick from the list and say that's a that's a useful thing. That's what I'm going to do next to make my thing my thing stronger. And uh, I wanted to point out that you know you can buy the book on Amazon if you want, but Waterfall still has a program of giving away copies for free. Uh, if you folks you know, listening are interested in a copy of the book, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, you know send me your your shipping address, and I'll try hard to to get one of the free copies out to you. One more surprise. You you said that the focus of the regulations was public safety. However, requirements uh, 25.1 and 25.2 and 3, they seem to be about repairing and resuming operations after a cyber incident. That sounds like a business continuity requirement. Why is there business continuity requirements in in a public safety regulation?
0: You're right. You're right. Uh, actually, uh, my mandate in the Ministry of Environmental Protection is for uh, public health and environmental protection. But in cyber attack on old system and scan system, the control engineer engineers actually uh, lose control of the system, and of, of, often they lose the, the HMI screens uh, with which they they actually handle the hazardous materials even due to a ransomware attack. So in, in order to regain control of the hazardous materials, yeah. and that's the point, uh, control system, you must carry out a process of returning to business continuity to bring the situation back under control as soon as possible. Because if public health is important to us, it is better that the ICS, better that the ICS that handle hazardous materials, uh, 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 components will be under control, and therefore, it is important to us to return to business continuity that will result in control as soon as possible. We want our eyes to the hazardous materials in the plants, not to be blind. So we must go back as soon as possible to uh, and return the business com- continuity, not for the business, but for the uh, risks, for the public health risks. So
2: Yossi, uh, this has been good. Um, you know, you're the expert on this uh, this new regulation. Is there anything else that, that you wanted to touch on that I haven't asked you about?
0: Yes. Two main challenges uh, we have in our activities to increase cyber resilience in the industry. The first one is professional training. There are not enough uh, experts who know both who knows both cyber IT systems, OT systems. Uh, and control system, Uh, we we try to train people for that. I opened a special course uh, in Israel to train experts in this area, and they have already been uh, two successful courses. The first one uh, was on July 2020, and the second uh, one, February 2021 and I intend to open the third one on July 2021. It is very important to say that uh, that as I publish a course, it fills up to 50 people in uh, about two or three days. Um, So uh, there is a demand. Uh, The course uh, is in collaboration with the Manufacturer Association in Israel. And I develop the content and also a lecture and they are responsible for the administration. So I, I do most of the job, uh, they do the administration, I mean the Manufacturer Association and the sponsorship. And every uh, student gets certificate from us and he can do uh, cyber risk assessment in the plant. The second issue or the second the challenge, creating collaboration between the seesaw of the plant, who are usually responsible for the IT network only, and the control manager, it could be maybe mechanical or electrical engineer in the plant who is responsible for the OT network. I think that uh, such a collaboration can greatly increase the resilience of the plant because usually IT teams prefer not to enter the production floor and the OT networks Uh, because maybe it it is noisy for them, dirty, Uh, they find their old technology, maybe old controllers or Windows 7 uh, system, or even Windows XP uh, uh, in the HMI station. Uh, So in the factory, uh, which I visit frequently in in, in Israel, uh, it was one of my main challenge to actually, to convince the teams, the IT and OT teams, to collaborate. Uh, I must say that this is not an easy task at all, but it's, I think it's the most important thing to, to raise the resilience of the law. Yeah.
2: Now, Yossi, your your last comment here is, is a surprise to me. You know, I talk to a lot of people. I um, you know I talk on this podcast. I talk to people at conferences. I have the impression that ITOT integration is well underway at most organizations. But that's not what I heard you just say. Can you talk about your experience in the organizations that, that you work with? Is ITOT integration really happening?
0: I, I can, Andrew, I can tell you about my experience. Uh, I, I go to, uh, to the plants at least two, three times a week, okay? most i can t- i can say maybe seventy percent eight, or eighty percent there is no collaboration between it staff and all the stuff uh from the reason that i i told you before but now i see uh there is a, a new function in uh, in plants in israel and it's called hse hse uh it's kind of uh big manager Uh, is uh, responsible for HSE health, safety, environment, okay? So this is is, the main uh, interest to take these two teams and make them uh, collaborate and to work together. So I see more and more plants recently that uh, bring uh, this position inside the plant, and uh, this is very good. But uh, but it's not, uh, I, I, I can't see it in, uh, in, in every plant. Uh, maybe uh, next years we will see it more and more, uh, maybe because the regulation and maybe because they will understand or the board will understand that such collaboration is necessary uh, to improve the cyber resilience.
1: Andrew, I noticed there the, the the notion, as Yossi said, that 70% of the sites that he works with don't have IT and OT integrated seems like a really high number.
2: It, it does. And, uh, you know... We I mean, on the podcast here, we talk to experts. a lot of the experts are you know they they see each other at at events they they talk to each other. Um, you know i I'm pretty sure my perspective is skewed. A lot of the people I talk to are way down the road on on ITO integration, but it, it sounds like that's not the norm at all.
1: I suppose that uh, off the top of my head, what might be the the reason for all this is that it, it harkens back to what we were saying earlier in the episode. In Israel, you have a, a much higher percentage of facilities, a lot more different and varied kinds of facilities that wouldn't necessarily um, be under the umbrella of, you know, a North American version of Yossi. Um, and so Yossi's probably dealing with a lot of places uh, where the folks there aren't necessarily quite as well-versed in things such as, you know, proper OT practice.
2: That's probably that's probably the case, I know. But, you know, what, what I take away here is... Uh, we're probably going to hear people talking about the challenges of ITOT integration for a long time to come because it sounds like there's still a lot of work to do uh, in, in a lot of places. It looks like you folks have made uh, some great progress on you know, this, uh, this problem I- in Israel. Um, can you talk about what comes next? What are you working on now? What, what's the future of, of cybersecurity in this, in this arena look like?
0: No, uh, the future, uh, we add every year uh, we add uh, more plants to the regulation, and we do uh, another activity. Uh, we actually uh, established uh, SOC uh, SOC uh, operation uh, to give uh, to give uh, knowledge to the factories about uh, open ports, about malware they have, about gaps. And uh, this this is an, another service that we are uh, we want to give in the future, and we uh, maybe we will establish a very big SOC to uh, connect physically uh, the plants into our SOC so we can uh, we can give them uh, uh, the alerts and uh, actually raise their uh, resilience.
2: So thanks, Yossi. This has been great. Um- before we leave you, is there a thought you'd like to leave with our listeners?
0: Yes. Uh, we know that most organizations and um, factories perform cyber protection for reasons of uh, maybe information protection or reasons of business con- uh, continuity. My mandate is uh, in the Ministry of, env- uh, of Environmental Protection is not protecting information, neither uh, confidentiality nor on business con- continuity. My main goal is to protect human life. This is the most important thing, protect the environment from various uh, pollutants that can pollute the environment, the oceans, and our groundwater.
1: Andrew, how about something for me to take us out here? Yeah.
2: So let me start with uh, the URL. The URL is actually a bit complicated. If somebody wants the the English version of the standard, I would go to Google and Google cybersecurity requirements of a toxins permit. Google that phrase and you'll find it. It it comes up, you know, very first hit for me. Um, I do recommend the the document. Uh, You know, it's an easy read. You know, everyone I talk to is interested in How can we take the next step? How can we make our security program the next step stronger? Because the threat environment just keeps getting worse. So here's an easy read. Here's a clear example of uh, a strong security posture that you can go through and and cherry pick and say, you know, I'm going to take that piece and this piece, and that's my next step. So I I recommend the, uh, the document, Adhering to the Cybersecurity Requirements of a Toxins Permit.
1: Okay. Thanks this episode to you and Yossi. Thank you, Andrew, as always, for speaking with me.
2: Always a pleasure. Thank
1: you, Nate. This has been the Industrial Security Podcast from Waterfall. Thanks to everyone out there listening.